with the gauntlets. A long, broad, straight-shaped, double-edged falchion, with a handle formed like a cross, corresponded with a stout poniard on the other side. The knight also bore, secured to his saddle, with one end resting on his stirrup, the long steel-headed lance, his own proper weapon, which, as he rode, projected backwards and displayed its little penancelle to dally with the faint breeze or drop in the dead calm. To this cumbrous equipment must be added a surcoat of embroidered cloth, much frayed and worn, which was thus far useful that it excluded the burning rays of the sun from the armor, which they would otherwise have rendered intolerable to the wearer. The surcoat bore in several places the arms of the owner, although much defaced. These seemed to be a couchant leopard, with the motto, I sleep, wake me not. An outline of the same device might be traced on his shield, though many a blow had almost defaced the painting. The flat top of his cumbrous cylindrical helmet was unadorned with any crest. In retaining their own unwieldy defensive armor, the northern crusaders seemed to set at defiance the nature of the climate and country to which they had come to war. The accoutrements of the horse were scarcely less massive and unwieldy than those of the rider. The animal had a heavy saddle plated with steel, uniting in front with a species of breastplate and behind with defensive armor made to cover the loins. Then there was a steel axe or hammer called a mace of arms and which hung to the saddle-bow. The reins were secured by chain-work and the front stall of the bridle was a steel plate with apertures for the eyes and nostrils, having in the midst a short, sharp pike projecting from the forehead of the horse like the horn of the fabulous unicorn. But habit had made the endurance of this load of panoply a second nature both to the knight and his gallant charger. Numbers indeed of the western warriors who hurried to Palestine died ere they became inured to the burning climate. But there were others to whom that climate became innocent and even friendly, and among this fortunate number was the solitary horseman who now traversed the border of the Dead Sea. Nature, which cast his limbs in a mould of uncommon strength, fitted to wear his linked hauberk with as much ease as if the meshes had been formed of cobwebs, had endowed him with a constitution as strong as his limbs, and which bade defiance to almost all changes of climate, as well as to fatigue and privations of every kind. His disposition seemed in some degree to partake of the qualities of his bodily frame, and as the one possessed great strength and endurance, united with the power of violent exertion, the other, under a calm and undisturbed semblance, had much of the fiery and enthusiastic love of glory, which constituted the principal attribute of the renowned Norman line, and had rendered them sovereigns in every corner of Europe where they had drawn their adventurous swords. It was not, however, to all the race that fortune proposed such tempting rewards, and those obtained by the solitary knight during two years' campaign in Palestine had been only temporal fame and, as he was taught to believe, spiritual privileges. Meantime, his slender stock of money had melted away, the rather that he did not pursue any of the ordinary modes by which the followers of the crusade 
condescended to recruit their diminished resources at the expense of the people of Palestine. He exacted no gifts from the wretched natives for sparing their possessions when engaged in warfare with the Saracens, and he had not availed himself of any opportunity of enriching himself by the ransom of prisoners of consequence. The small train which had followed him from his native country had been gradually diminished as the means of maintaining them disappeared, and his only remaining squire was at present on a sickbed and unable to attend his master, who travelled, as we have seen, singly and alone. This was of little consequence to the crusader, who was accustomed to consider his good sword as his safest escort, and devout thoughts as his best companion. Nature had, however, her demands for refreshment and repose, even on the iron frame and patient disposition of the knight of the sleeping leopard, and at noon, when the dead sea lay at some distance on his right,